welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. And, uh, if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. For some of you who were around church last year, you'll know we did a 20-week series on the book of Ephesians. And so when I said turn to Ephesians, then you got a little shudder down your spine, like, oh, here we go again. I thought we were done with this. But I want to finish us off uh, in the book of, of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, I've entitled this message this morning, The Fight is On. The Fight is On. And it's a great passage of scripture, actually, it's Ephesians chapter 6. And it's as if Paul, when he's, when he's writing this, the Apostle Paul, he writes the book of Ephesians. He's writing this uh, letter to us and to the church in Ephesus at the time and to us now. And as he's writing this, he finishes the book with, with, with giving the believer, me and you, pre-knowledge, okay, extra knowledge. I don't know if any of you like football, any of you are football fans, and you like watching Match of the Day. And there are two ways that you could, yep, one of us, in, one of, yeah, I'm with you, I love Match of the Day. And uh, there's two ways that you can watch Match of the Day. All the games have already taken place. Uh, one way that you can watch Match of the Day is, is you've not seen any of the results of the day. And you watch match of the day and you are, especially if you're watching your team, you are on edge to see what the result's going to be. If there's a goal against, if there's a goal for, if there's a sending off, if there's a significant moment, you're watching it with, without any prior knowledge, without any pre-knowledge of what's going to take place. There's another way that you can watch match of the day is that you've already seen all the results before you turn on the TV. And when you're watching match of the day, you're watching it from a different place, a different perspective. In fact, if there's, especially if you're watching your team, if there's a goal against you, know your team won, and there's a goal against you, maybe they go 1-0 down, you don't react in the same way as you would do if you're watching it for the first time. Because you know the result. You know that it's going to work out. You know that it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to find a way. There, there's a sense in which the excitement's gone to the same degree because you know what's going to happen. You're not responding. You're not panicking. You're not getting emotional when things go off and when things go on in the game because you already know the result. When the Apostle Paul begins to talk to us in, in chapter 6 of, of the book of Ephesians, He's given us pre-knowledge, not just pre-knowledge from an eschatological point of view in terms of God's going to sort everything out in the course of time. He's going to recreate everything. He's going to take care of you and me, and he's going to box it off. We've got that pre-knowledge, but also Paul's given us now pre-knowledge into history, into our time, into our days. And he says this, he wants us to know that there's a fight that is going on. And, and if, if you'll fight how Paul is suggesting that you're to fight, you'll have the victory. He's letting us know that, that actually the fight that we've got going on in our world, it, it's not a, a visible fight, it's an invisible fight. He's letting us know that there are forces at work, there are powers and principalities and, and a spiritual dimension to life right here and right now. And he's giving us this information in, in chapter 6 as almost like some, some, a heads up. Here's what's really going on in life. And if you understand this, it'll change the way that re you react and respond to things going off in your world. That maybe you won't have the same emotional response as you would do if you didn't already know the result and what was taking place. Does that make sense? So let's read together a little bit of, of chapter 6. Starting at verse 10, it says this. 
he says, this is Paul, Paul speaking. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So he's scheming. The devil's scheming. It says, for our struggle, love this verse, is not against flesh and blood. Sure feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says that there's a fight that's on and there's evil powers in this world and Satan who who are scheming to take you and me out. And he says this, he says that there's a soldier and the picture that he paints, there's a soldier that you and me are supposed to be. And there's armor that we're supposed to wear. I don't know whether anyone's watching uh, SAS, the new SAS program, Who Who Dares Wins. I love watching that program. And uh, I I love watching it. And they'll take a group of people and they'll give them a taste of what it's like to train as an SAS soldier. And they they put them through all kinds of different trials from the moment that they get there. And their aim is, is from the, the people who are running, the aim of those who volunteer, the recruits that come in, is they want to break them. So they'll take them through all kinds of physical tasks. and They don't give them much, much sleep, much food. They, they'll, they'll have to do all kinds of amazing stuff. I love watching the program. But here's, here's what surfaces time and time and time again, is they're not always looking to the, for the most physically fit. They're looking for those who've got mental resilience. They have in mind a particular soldier that they want. And they want someone who's, who's mentally tough. Who has the resilience, not just to give in, but to keep going. And when Paul writes this, and he's writing about the kind of soldier that you and me should be in the fight. We're in a fight, whether you want to fight or not, the fight's on. So you can choose to, to try, oh, I don't, want to, I don't want to be involved in this thing. Well, the fight's on and taking place around you, in you. Uh, whether you want to be proactive about it or not, it's taking place. And Paul says, here's a type of soldier that, that you and me should be. First of all, he says, he says finally, he's coming to the end of, of his book. And he says, finally, in view of everything that we've discovered. You know, the, the book of Ephesians, as we talked about it, it, the first three chapters, Paul spends time talking about who we are in Christ. The the last three chapters, he talks about how we should respond as Christ followers. And he says right at the end of this book, in light of everything that's been said, in light of who God is, in light of who you are in Christ, in light of God's great plan for your life, in light of all of that, all that that's been said, all that we've gone through, all that's been done, in light of all that, finally, be strong in the Lord and put on the armor. So he gives us responsibility in terms of we're to be strong in God, but strength isn't in ourselves, it's the strength of the Lord. 
It's us being proactive enough to strengthen ourselves in God. And here's the great thing. He says, God's given you armor to win the fight. But guess whose responsibility it is to put it on? Us. You could go through all the training. You could, you could become a soldier, a recruit. You could go through all the training. You could get all the equipment. You could get the outfit. You could get the rifle. You could get the, you could get the stab. You could get it all. And then the moment comes where you're called to battle. And you can leave the equipment at home and you know that you're at a disadvantage if you've left it at home. But he says this, he says, be strong in the Lord in his mighty hand and his mighty strength. His strength and put on the armor of God. You put it on. In other words, God's saying through Paul, I've given you all the weapons you need, all the equipment that you need. And now it's your responsibility, your choice, whether you put it on or not. It's our responsibility to strengthen ourselves in Him. To live on earth from a heavenly point of view. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that that you're living on earth and there's earthly realities, but there's a heavenly reality as well. There's a spiritual dimension. There's a God who's for you and there's there's Satan, there's the enemy who wants to take you out. And here's, here's the crazy thing. He says that Satan's scheming against you and me. In in other words, Satan has become a student of your life. He knows your areas of weakness. He knows what buttons to push. He knows what, what some of your responses are. He's studying you. I don't know about you, but that gets me angry. That gets me angry. He doesn't just want to do me harm, but he's studying how to do me harm. That irritates me. Anybody else? That, that really irritates me. He's studying, which means he's studying my life, my personhood. He's studying my weaknesses. He's studying the things that, that'll really tip me over the edge. He's, he's, he's studying that. But not only that, he's studying my family. He's studying my family and he's, he's looking for ways to tear us apart and to put some stuff in the way. He, he's studying my entire being. And that annoys me. Satan is studying you. And that should irritate you. It should irritate you so much that you want to then live how God wants you to live. It should irritate you so much that you want to put on the armor and become the soldier that God's called you to be because he's already won the battle and won the victory, but now he's enlisted you and me to fight the good fight of faith covered by the armor of God. To live an earthly reality but from a heavenly point of view. I don't know if um, you use FaceTime much or Skype or Zoom or Google Hangout, whatever you use, video messaging. Literally, you can be anywhere in the world, but you can be somewhere else at the same time. That you could be, you could live in sunny old Oswald Twistle. And you can be FaceTiming your friends in America or Africa or Australia, wherever it is. That literally technology has given us the ability to be in one place, but to see a different place at the same time. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying you live on earth right now, but you have the the technology, the possibility to live on earth from a heavenly perspective and point of view. That God, he's given us insight into the heavenlies, the spiritual, 
And he's saying that should affect, that should affect your walk. And he gives us six things in the list of the armor. I just want to go through them really quickly this morning. The first thing that he gives us is, is it says that we have the belt of truth. Now we know that, that Paul is sat in a Roman prison as he writes these words to the church in Ephesus. And he's probably, the scholars say, he's probably looking at a Roman guard and looking at the, the, the armor that a Roman guard has. And he's then using those to draw an analogy of what we should then wear and live with in the fight that we have in life. And the first thing he says, he says that you've got the belt of truth. Now the belt for a Roman soldier, the belt that held anything together, literally all the undergarments, it was the first piece of armor that went on. It held all the under the garments. It's, it's, the, it's the place and the, 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 uh, the piece of armor that is out of sight and out of view. And he says it's the belt of truth. In other words, this isn't something that might be publicly seen by anybody else. But it's your commitment to the truth. Does that make sense? Which holds everything together. The truth of who God is, the truth of who you are, they hold it all together. Now the Bible tells us that, that we shall know the truth. The Gospel of John says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It's not the truth that sets you free. It's the truth that you know that sets you free. So it can be true, but unless you know it, experience it, live in it, then you don't have the freedom that comes from knowing the truth. A little bit like in America when slavery was abolished, that literally the, the, the law was changed and slavery was, was, was made illegal. And you know, it, when, from the moment they made the decision in the courts that they were going to outlaw slavery, it, it was something like a year and a half before the news got to everyone in America that slavery had now been abolished. In other words, there were people at the other side of the country who even though it was now illegal to own a slave, were still enslaved. And legally, they were free. They just didn't know it. And it wasn't until they received the knowledge, the insight that they were free, that they actually began to walk in freedom. The belt of truth. It's the truth that you know. In other words, you should give yourself your time, your effort, your energy to learning the truth of God. That God has set me free. Free from sin. Free from, free from all the, the tricks and the schemes of the enemy. It's the truth that holds it all together. And the enemy will try and get in and get your eyes, your mind off the truth of God. The devil's a liar. And he'll try any way he can to get your focus off the truth. But when you know it, we'll set you free. The second thing that uh, the piece of armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about the, the breastplate of righteousness. Now it's a breastplate that, that, that literally for a Roman soldier would protect all the vital organs. It, it would protect what's important. Now we know from, from the life of Jesus that as New Testament 
followers of, of Jesus, as, as, as we've had that revelation made known to us, we know that it's through Christ's righteousness, not our own, that we receive salvation and forgiveness of sins. That's the vital, fundamental truth of what God has done for us. That it gives us confidence that not in my own ability, but in what Jesus has already done for me. But here's what the enemy will do. The enemy will try to get you to focus on your effort rather than what God's already done. You don't have the ability to make yourself righteous. Jesus did it for you. And now we live in that truth. And what the enemy will do is it will try and make you think it's not true, it's not real. I can't believe you did that. Can't believe you went there. Can't believe you said that. Can't believe you acted like that. Can't believe you had that intention. Can't believe you had that motive. That's what the enemy will do. He'll make you and me aware of our deficiency. But here's what it should do. The breastplate of righteousness protects what's vital. Here's what we should have. Confidence, in not in our ability, but in Christ's sufficiency. His sacrifice was sufficient. And when you get your eyes, and when the enemy tries, he gets your eyes off Christ's sufficiency and on your ability. Here's what you and me do. We downplay the cross. We say the cross, the atoning sacrifice of, of God, was not and is not enough. We need extra. You do not need extra. All you need is Jesus. All that he did, all that he's done, all that he's prepared for us, that's righteousness and that's the reality. He's done it. I don't know whether any of you are into films, whether you've watched Inception. I've got an old film now, Leonardo DiCaprio. It, I remember watching it at the cinema. And here's the basic premise of the film. They have the ability to visit dreams. And it's not just dreams, it's dreams to the fourth reality. So it's dreams of dreams of dreams of dreams. And I know I'm not selling it really well for most of you. You're like, what? That doesn't even make sense. They've created the ability to visit these dreams. And, and here's what, what happens to Leonardo DiCaprio is he visits so many dreams, he's presented with so many different realities that he's not really sure what's a dream and what's real. And here's what the enemy will try and do. He'll try and present you with all kinds of tricks and arguments and point out all kinds of flaws in your own life so that sometimes you don't even know what's, what's real and what's fake. What's a lie and what's reality. And so here's what, uh, in the film Inception, here's what Leonardo DiCaprio manages to do. He, he takes a token with him when he travels into these dreams. There's a little pendant thing, that he, that he, uh, uh, cap thing that he twists on the ground. And, and if the cap falls eventually and stops spinning, then it's real. And if the cap, if it keeps spinning, it's, it's not real, it's a dream. And, and here's what the trick is for me and you is we've got to learn to live with the reality of heaven and what Christ has done in our lives. And it's the breastplate of righteousness that protects what is vital. And here's the test. Does it sound like heaven or does it sound like hell? Because heaven's voice is for you. Heaven's call wants the best for you. God's already provided for it. He's not judging you. He wants you to now work out and live out 
of all that he's already done in your life. Hell's voice wants to point out everything you've ever done wrong and put distance between you and God because of your effort. That's not heaven's voice. How do I tell whether it's, whether it's what God thinks, whether it's real, or whether it's fake, what hell thinks? It's the sound of the voice. What's the voice saying? What's the voice speaking into your life? The third thing that he talks about, the third piece of armor that he says, he says that this, he said that you'll have sandals that are equipped for the gospel of peace, the, the gospel, the spreading of the gospel. A Roman soldier's sandals literally were, were, were leather sandals and they would have had metal spikes in the bottom. The metal spikes helped you go to rocky places, rocky terrain. And here's what, when you're fitted with the gospel of peace, you can go through seasons and situations that might seem rocky on sure footing. And how do you know if you're walking how God wants you to walk, where God wants you to walk? Here's a great indicator. Peace. What's your peace like? Two artists were commissioned to, to paint portraits of what they imagined peace would look like. And one artist set out and put his frame up and began to draw the most serene picture you could ever imagine. Beautiful sunset, calm waters, lavish land, like rich color, just serene. You looked at it and you wanted to, to fall asleep. Another artist, he put his canvas up and began to paint a picture of a torrential downpour with a bolt of lightning in the sky, raging seas, just chaos everywhere. And yet, right at the bottom in the corner of his portrait was a little bird. And this bird just had a little ray of light shining on it, and it, the little bird was singing in the storm. And, and here's how you know you've, you've arrived at a place where you're fitted with peace in your life. The storm's raging, but you're still singing. You're still singing. It's not that everything would be serene and fit together and, and miraculous and marvelous. This fairy tale picture of a life with God that we have that's not really true. But it's the chaos and the, the, of life. When the storms rage, what's your voice like then? That's when you know if you've got peace or not. That's when you know if you've got peace. Because the gospel, the life, that we're called to live, the gospel of peace, it isn't just about getting me and you to heaven. It's about getting heaven into us. And when you can walk through seasons and situations that are chaotic and messy and wild, and you can still sing, you know you've got the peace of God in your life. He's at work on the inside of you. Number four, the next piece of armor that we're told that we have at our disposal is the shield of faith. A Roman soldier's shield would have been oblong and it would have been from foot to head. The full length of your body. It, it's the protection. Notice that Paul says it's the protection against the fiery darts of the enemy. I don't know whether, I used to, as growing up, I used to love Western films. Anybody else like Westerns? 
Yes, not many. And, uh, and good, good company this morning. I love Western films. And I love growing up watching those. And um, I love growing up watching John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. And uh, loved it. And one of the, the, the things that would often happen in the, these films is they were, they were cowboys and they were Indians. Uh, and the, the cow, cowboys would be, be journeying somewhere and they'd have all the wagons with them and then they'd see in the distance a group of Indians that were coming to attack. And here's what they'd do is, is they'd get in formation. They'd, put, they'd usually put the wagons in a circle all the way around them. Is this, is this ringing true for anybody who's watched a few Westerns? They'd put the wagons all the way around them. They'd say, everyone take up your post. And they'd all sit there, all the cowboys with their rifles, ready to shoot the Indians as they came. And the Indians, as they were riding from the distance, into, they would make all kinds of noises and all kinds of shouts. And they would pull out their bow and arrow, which is a little bit of a mismatch, isn't it? A rifle against a bow and arrow. That's a little bit like the believer and Satan. The believer, God's given us armor. He's given us the weapon. And the enemy doesn't really have much, but he'll, he's crafty and he'll use what he has to get in. And here's what the, the, the Indians would do. They'll begin to shoot the arrows at all these cowboys. And then a couple of crafty Indians, they, what they do is they dip a couple of their arrows in oil and they'd light them. And then they would shoot them towards the cowboys. Now, here's what they were doing. They weren't looking to hit the cowboys. They were looking to hit the canvases of the vehicles that they were traveling with. Because they knew if they could hit the canvas, they'd probably set it on fire. And here's what they knew. They knew that the cowboys, they can't fight us and fight fire at the same time. So here's what the enemy tries to do for you and me. He knows that it's a mismatch and really he doesn't stand a chance if we're living according to how God wants us to live. But here's what he'll do. He'll send a fiery dart in your world, not necessarily to take you out, but to set a fire in the things around you, set a fire in your marriage, to set a fire at work, to set a fire within you like a personal issue that's going on. And all of a sudden, instead of fighting the enemy, you're fighting fire. That somewhere, somewhere along the, the lines, you just got distracted. And, and now you're not really standing, like Paul says, stand in faith, stand in faith, stay standing, stay true. But all of a sudden, you've got distracted over here. And your life has become about fighting fires rather than fighting the enemy. And you don't know what's the true enemy and what's not. But here's what, here's what God's word says. I've given you a shield to extinguish the darts, the fiery darts of the enemy. Those darts of distraction, because you're living in faith, not fear, and you're not fighting fires, you'll be able to discern by faith what battle I should be fighting. Maybe in your marriage you're fighting each other when you really should be standing together and fighting the enemy. Maybe you've started looking, looking for stuff and looking at fires around you that the enemy's just set. Because he knows if he can take your eyes off the ball, he can, he can render you inactive. But take up your shield of faith. And live by faith and not by sight. That it's not what I can see going wrong around me and the fiery darts of the enemy. It's the conviction I have that God's in me, working in me, working through me, has a plan and a purpose for this world, for my life, for my family, for my neighborhood, for everything I'm involved. God has a plan and I'm living by faith in the midst of it. 
Faith keeps us moving. Here's what the Bible says. It says that uh, we walk by faith. In other words, faith is movement. And the enemy will try and send a dart, a fiery dart into your life to stop you from moving and bring you to a standstill. But God's got more for you than what your current reality says. He's got far more if we'll walk by faith. The fifth thing that Paul tells us, part of our armor, he says that you've got the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. A leather cap that the Romans wore with all kinds of metal studs on it. And it protected the head, it protected the mind. Paul says you've been given this helmet of salvation. And it's to protect your mind. It's to protect your thinking. It's to protect your thoughts. Here's, here's what you'll realize as, as living as a human. You can't be trusted. You can't be trusted. I can't be trusted. If I'm basing my, my trust in me, I'm in trouble. You are marred by sin. You are marked by sin. And to make it worse, now you're living in a sinful world. You cannot be trusted. Your thoughts cannot be trusted. Scripture tells us that the human heart is deceitful above all things. You even deceive yourself. Think about that. You're not just deceiving others, you deceive yourself. You can pretend you've got one motive when really you've got another. True? That's why the Bible instructs us, you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind's got to be made new because you and me, we cannot be trusted. And here's the thing, the enemy is well rehearsed in how you think. Well rehearsed. And if you can get your thinking off course, off key, he can have a field day with your life. All he has to do is plant a seed, plant a thought, and you and me begin to water it. And before long, we're making decisions based on a seed that the enemy planted rather than the seed that God's planted of his word inside of us. Which is why it's so important that we've got the helmet of salvation, that God's our minds. Interesting uh, thing, if you've got your Bible, you want to turn to the book of Genesis. Let me show you something. In the fall of man, Adam and Eve in the garden, all is good, all is well. And then the enemy comes to Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, now listen to the words he quotes from God. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See what the enemy does there? He plants a seed of wrong thinking into, the, into Eve. And here's what he does. He takes one of the things God has said and makes it the first thing God has said. I know you're thinking, well, what you want about it. Why don't you turn just back a chapter, chapter 2, verse 16. Here's God speaking 
to, to, to man in the garden. It says, and the word of God commanded the man, you are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you see the difference? Here's what the enemy says. He draws attention to the fact, did God say you must not? He's planted a seed in humanity that God is a God just of restriction. God's a God of must nots. You mustn't do that. You must, some of you grew, maybe grew up in churches that were must not churches. You must not go to the cinema. Evil. You, you must not watch that show. That's evil. You must not enjoy yourself. Enjoyment's evil. You must not. Here's what God said. You are free. God says you have freedom. And within that freedom, there are boundaries to protect you. The enemy comes and he plants a seed. God's, God's boring. God's dull. God's into restriction. God's a God of must nots. No, he's not. He's a God of freedom. You are free. The helmet of salvation protects you and me from thinking in a way that is counter what God would want for us. And if we don't line it up with what God says, we're in trouble. Because the enemy can plant all kinds of stuff in us. And we start making decisions and, and, and acting in a way that's motivated by a seed that he plants, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. You are free. God's not a, you must not God. God's a, you are free God. If you know me, you are free. We can live life to the full. And the last thing, band, if you want to come, we'll get ready to finish in just a second. The last thing that he says, he says that you've got another piece of armor and it's your only offensive weapon. Every other piece of armory has been defensive, protective, enable you to stand. But then he says you have another piece of armor that's yours and it's the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. We know that is God's Word. God's Word is the sword of the Spirit. It helps us fight back against the plans and schemes of the enemy. It's a weapon. But here's the thing. The more trained you are in how to wield that weapon, how to swing it, how to stab, how to advance, how to block, how to counter, the more effective you and I are in pushing back the enemy. Here's the good news. You can have as much of the Word of God in your life as you want. You can be as well rehearsed and as well trained as you want to be. The restriction isn't placed on us from God or anybody else. It's on ourselves. So how well versed will you be? 
And I'm not talking about knowing it off by heart, back to front, being able to quote chapter and verse. But there is something about using the Word of God in prayer and in assault of the enemy. Jesus, when he was tempted, showed us exactly how to use this Word. When the enemy would come and he would try and tempt Jesus into doing something that was outside of the will of God for Jesus' life, here's what Jesus would do. It is written. It is written in here. Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. He was, he was pushing back the enemy with the word. We have the potential and the ability. I don't know what's coming against you right now. I've got a, I've got a feeling that there's some plans and schemes that the enemy's been cooking up to take you out. And some of them are well underway. But the good news is this morning, you've been given armor. And you've been given a sword. How will you use it? What kind of seeds has the enemy been planting in your mind? That this morning you're going to stand and you're going to say, I rebuke you, devil. My God is for me, not against me. That his plan is to prosper me and not to harm me. The Bible tells us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. The interesting thing, that scripture, no weapon formed against us, in the original language, the indication, the implication is that weapon's been custom made for you. In other words, the enemy's been studying you, watching you, figuring out a way to take you down, and he has a weapon for you. But here's the great news. When you live with the armor of God on, no weapon formed against me, even if it's been custom made, even if he's been studying this, even if he knows how this is going to work out, even if he knows how to weasel his way in, because I'm living for God, and I have the armor of God on, and I've got the word of God in my heart and in my mouth, there's no way it can prosper. And I'm pulling it down in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I know some of you are rationalists this morning. So you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just logical, I'm rational. And, and to think that there's, there's, you know, something else and someone else at work in this world, I don't, I don't see it. It's just life. Listen, life happens to us all. But Scripture's really clear. There's an enemy who's out for you. He's out for you. He wants to render you ineffective. The Bible tells us that enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy your relationships. And he wants to kill your dreams. The fight's on. But Paul gives us insight. This is how you fight. This is how you fight. Not in your own strength. Be strong in the mighty hand of the Lord. It's His strength. And now actively put on the armor of God. How do you put on the armor of God? Well, Paul finishes this great passage of Scripture by telling us the key ingredient. How do you put on the armor? He says this, and pray. In the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, with this in mind, that there's a battle taking place. Pray with that in mind, that God's given you the victory. 
and he's given you the armor. Pray with that in mind. With that in mind, pray. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is an earthly invitation for heavenly intervention. Prayer is us coming before God and inviting God. God, come and move. How do you put on the armor of God? By prayer. God, this morning I'm putting on my belt of truth. God, this morning I'm putting on my breastplate of righteousness. God, this morning I want my feet to be fitted with the gospel of peace. God, this morning I want the shield of faith. God, this morning I want the helmet of salvation. God, I pray that you teach me from your word afresh today how to wield the sword of the spirit that you've given me. Prayer ties it all together. And here's the reality. You cannot tell me that you are serious about living God's life. You can't tell me that you're serious about your family growing up in faith. You can't tell me you're serious about pushing back the enemy if you're not a person of prayer. If you're serious about it, you'll pray. And you'll say, God, help me. God, lead me. Exodus chapter 17, and I promise this is my final finish this morning. Exodus chapter 17, there's a beautiful picture of a battle that's raging in the valley, the Israelites. And Joshua's down in the valley. But then we're given another picture of something that's taking place on the mountaintop. And it tells us that Moses is on the mountaintop and he's lifting his hands. And it says, as Moses lifts his hands, the Israelites start to win in battle. As Moses lowers his hands, the Israelites start to lose. I think the mountain, the mountain is physical obedience. The mountain is prayer. And when we're a praying people, guess what? God enables us to win the victory and win the battle. It's amazing when you stop to pray, when your prayer life wanes, when your trusting God starts to go, when you're not proactive about living life. It's amazing how the battle starts to go against you rather than going for you. I want us to be a people of the mountaintop that will lift hands to God and say, God, help us. Do you know what happens when you lift your hands? That's your act of strengthening yourself. Be strong in the Lord's mighty power. When you lift your hands, when you pray, when you come before Him, when you worship, when you open your mouth, you're saying, God, this battle belongs to you. When you're too busy down in the, in the valley fighting fires, that's when you're saying to yourself, to the enemy and to God, it's in my strength I do this thing. It's on the mountaintop that God gives you the strength to fight. That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. For any more information, visit bravechurch.co.uk.